All right. Um, I'm still on a uh, resurrection thing. Um, st- still on a resurrection thing. I've been thinking about it a lot, uh, especially with all the things that have been going on. Last, last Sunday we had Easter and we celebrated uh, Christ raising from the dead. Um, I began to think about, you know, what Paul talked about, and we talked about it a little bit, what the resurrection means to us. But, but I, in talking to my kids and my wife after church on Sunday, we start talking a little bit more about the resurrection, and I start understanding or, or, or talking about the importance of it, the importance of this event that happened in history, that Christ rose from the dead, and what it means to us as the body of Christ. Um, one of the things that we see is there... Uh, 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 with people, critics of the scriptures or critics of Christ or Christianity, one of the first things they say is that, you know, y'all, y'all believe in this guy raised from the dead, that's impossible, so evidence for it, you know, people don't raise from the dead, people die, that's it. Uh, and, and, and Paul said it, that that was the foundation of our Christian faith, the resurrection. So if the resurrection didn't happen, then our Christian faith, what we believe, the entire Bible, all that stuff is, means nothing according to the scripture. And so I started to look at it and say, what are those things when we talk about proofs or evidence? Um, one of the, from the famous movies we, we always watch and, and always laugh at is Nacho Libre. And um, I was asking, <laughs> I think it was Beach, I was asking the other day, that scene when, when uh, what's his name asked him, you know, they're about to get into a wrestling match. And he says, we need to pray to the Lord for strength. And the guy, I can't remember his name, the skinny guy, I forgot his name. Yeah, he said, uh, I, don't, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. And, and then <laughs> and Nacho, like, lost his mind. Like, he couldn't believe it. Like, what? You don't believe in God? You believe in science? But when I think about that, I'm, I'm a science. I went to school for physics, so I studied a lot of science. And the, the false impression is that science is this absolute thing. That if the scientist say it, and if scientist says it, then it's science. And we can believe the science because the scientist said it, and it's science. And, and, and I think about, you know, being that I've studied probably too much physics and, and all those things, and sitting in the class and listening to professors who are a billion times smarter than me, uh, and being in, 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 in nuclear labs with uh, uh, nuclear electrons flying around me, Nuclear electrons, but electrons flying around me, and, and lasers, and shooting electrons at gold, and watching the electrons fly off. Not watching it, because right, I can't see it, but using scintillation bars to catch the light, and then watching the patterns that go on, and seeing all that. And you see, in the midst of all that, and it's like, yeah, this stuff is true, but science is pretty much, a lot of it is built on faith. A lot of the science that we hold, what science says, a lot of that is built on faith. And so I begin to think when you compare what we as Christians believe to be true and the evidence that we have and compare that to what people who claim, well, science says this, or we believe science, and those Christians are idiots because they don't believe science, what evidence or facts do they have and how do that evidence and facts compare to what the scripture says? Um, one of the reasons why I love math, this is a little personal, I love math more than anything else. Because math, math is the <laughs> no, non-person thing, not my family. Anything that's not family, math. The thing I love about math is math is absolute. When it comes to mathematics and, 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 and we deal with absolute truths in math, 
Okay, so when mathematicians come together, when we look at numbers, there's a, a, a assumption. Everyone first agrees to an assumption. So we got math, so there's an assumption. And in that assumption, we come up with rules. So everyone stops with an assumption, then we have rules. And so when we prove things in math, it's not a, well, what do you think? No, we simply look at it and say, did we break any of the math rules? I tell my kids I'm teaching math. There are rules. You check your work. I say, did you break any rules? There's a rule that says, if A equals B and C equals B, then A equals C. It's a math rule. We start with an assumption. We have a rule. So as we're working out math, we get all the way down to the most craziest things in math. The reason why the mathematical community, you don't have any debates. <laughs> you, you don't have any people, well, that's ridiculous. No, because we start with an assumption. We establish the rules. Everyone agrees to the rules, handshake, handshake, and then we move on. So we have absolute proof in mathematics. In law, it's a little bit different in, the, in, 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 in law, in the courtroom. In courtroom, you look at things that happen, and you're trying to determine the truth. But in law, there's a thing that they call standards. Ah, I don't have an eraser. This is going to be rough. Oh, yeah, I don't like that. I don't have the patience to erase all this. <laughs> what happened? Oh, thank you. This, this helps my patience. That hurt, but we're going to act like it didn't. <laughs> That's all right. In law, we have standards of proof. So law has a standard of proof. And so... With law, which is different from math, law, we can't look for those absolute things. In law, what we do is we say, what's the evidence? And we look at how much evidence we have, and then we see if the evidence clear, is it convincing, or if the person is guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so when it comes to law and establishing what's true, people have to be able to look at the strengths and the weaknesses of the arguments. So there's an argument. The lawyer, the person, the judge, they come up with an argument, and the jury has to dis distinguish between the strengths and the weaknesses and decide which argument is closer to the law and closer to the facts. Not as absolute as math. One plus one equals two. You're not going to get in a fight about that. But we see fights in law and determine, was well, this the law? Is this close to the law? In science, <laughs> which is the field that I chose to study, you'd be amazed when we look at science. One thing that you, have, that you don't have in science is this. Absolute proof. It's not a thing. It's not a thing anybody claims. No one claims when you look at science that it's absolute proof, that we have the absolute proof that what you have here is absolute truth. You can't do that. Okay? There's some things we can, but when we look across the board in science, because science is not dealing with what they call unwavering accuracy. <laughs> Math has got to be accurate. Law, eh, you've got to be close to it. But science, are we looking for unwavering, um, all the time, un, uh, 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 accuracy? No. 
In science, what we look for is how you got the information and how well the information flows logically. Notice what's not up there, whether it's true or not. <laughs> when we deal with science, we're just looking at, okay, where did you get that from? Where's your data? Where's your observations? And does your data and observation make sense? Does it make logical sense? Is there some type of completeness in describing how one reason links to another reason, which links to another reason to complete the information? Science is pretty much faith. Science is something that you're going to believe. It, the, the trust that it takes is trust like faith. These are impossible things. This guy named Einstein came around and said that energy is equal to mass. Uh, I guess I should write it the right way. <laughs> Keep saying I went to school for this stuff. <laughs> energy is equal to mass. And he said there's a constant that you put beside that. And what do we say? Well, Einstein said it. Let's go. Does Einstein know that? Has Einstein ever seen this thing happen? No, hasn't. But it's cool, because in science, we're not looking for absolute proof. We're, not looking, we're just looking for where he get it from, what data did he use, and how well does it flow logically. And this flows logically impeccably. That's a lot of big words there. I'm impressing myself. I had to do the toe raise. That helped. That helped get the words out. <laughs> time slows. I said time slows with gravity and acceleration. Did you hear what I just said? This smart man <laughs> said time slows down with gravity. Time slows down with gravity and acceleration. And so Einstein said, if you go fast enough, you'll go backwards in time. Now, did, did Einstein see that? No, <laughs> he did not. Will he ever see it? No, he can't. But one of the smartest men on this planet Earth said it, and what do we do? Well, science says it. You guys don't believe science? You're stupid. Well, can Einstein prove that? No way. <laughs> he can't prove that. But we go with it. And there's, I, I just picked two. There's hundreds of thousands of other things when it comes to science. And so when we look at truth, when we look at why do I believe it, when we look at how we understand evidence, it depends on which arena you're in. If I'm in the math arena, I'm not going to pull e equals mc squared because I'm going to say there's no rule for that. That's that absolute truth. I don't have absolute proof of that, so we can't nullify that. I'm not going to take e equals mc squared and go to the courtroom. Your Honor, I'm here to prove today that energy is equal to mass times the acceleration of the speed of light squared. Because he's going to ask, OK, where's your evidence? And I'm going to say, I don't have any, Your Honor. But I'm here to prove it. <laughs> the standards that we have for evidence have to correspond to what we're talking about. Math, law, science. When it comes to history, and that brings us to the resurrection in the Bible. When it comes to history, it's a little bit different. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Schrodinger's cat, but I don't have time. Later on, I'll give you the story of Schrodinger's cat. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard, but it's why you can have a cell phone in your hand right now. I'll do it. You, got, you guys ask. 
This guy named Schroeder, he's a genius, right? This is quantum mechanics. I took this course, I fussed with the teacher every day because it made no sense. Schroeder said, if you have a box, you put a cat inside of a box. That's, that's whiskers, that's close. And you also put a bomb in the box. He actually used a radioactive device, but Einstein came around and said, let's use a bomb. You put a bomb in the box, we'll make it both, a radioactive bomb. <laughs> and you close the box. The bomb or the radioactive uh, device inside has a 50% chance that it will kill the cat. Explode and kill the cat, 50-50 chance. You close the box, question is, is the cat alive or dead? Schroeder said, you don't know. 50% chance that he's alive, 50% that he's dead. You only know until you what? Open the box. Problem with that, Schroeder just said the problem with that is the fact that when you opened the box, what you actually did was your observation caused the event. Because as long as the box is shut, you have no clue. It's a 50% chance. The actual fact is a 50% chance that that cat is alive or dead. When you open it, your observation forced reality. That's what Schrodinger said. People lost their minds. Because what that implies is that inside the box, the cat is 100% alive and 100% dead at the same time. Now that theory that he came up with, that he used, is how we got a thing called superposition. And the superposition says that it's impossible. One thing can't be two different things at the same time. Yes, it can. We have the electron. The electron has wave properties. It acts like a wave, like light. The electron also acts like a particle. And what we found was, oh, snap. Schroeder was probably right. Because we do have something in the universe that can be two things at once, a wave and a particle. And because of that wave particle aspect, you have iPhones, iPads, iWatches, all that kind of stuff. Because of the dual nature of something that's doing the same thing at the same, two different things at the same time. I wanted to use an example to show the ridiculousness of what we believe to be true. And how things so ridiculous is how we get the science that allows you to have the things that you have in your hand. When we talk about law, when we talk about uh, 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 math, when we talk about science, there are different things that we use for evidence. When we get to history, though, it comes down to the standard of evidence. What is the standard of evidence for history? The standard of evidence. In history, one thing that we're looking for is, it, is what we're saying, is what we're reading historically reliable. That's it. Different for the test of math, different for the test of science, different for the test of law. When we talk about history, especially when we talk about historical documents, okay? How do I know I can believe that? How do secular folks who are not even saved, how do they take old documents and determine that's a reliable document? Well, they use a thing called historical reliability, and it's all wrapped up in another thing called textual criticism. Science. That's what they use. 
They have certain rules, certain laws that they go by to determine whether something, an event that happened, a document of antiquity, this is the word they use, old documents, antique, antiquity. They verify if those documents are historically reliable. That's it. It's the only test that they have for history. Is it historically reliable? Did it, did, 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 can you show it again? It, no, 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 that's math. That's science. That's law. For history, we use textual criticism to determine if it's historically reliable. Socrates, you've heard of Socrates before. Smart guy. Socrates never wrote anything down. We don't have anything about the life. He never wrote anything about his history, nothing about his life, nothing about what he said. But we know Socrates exists, we believe. Why? Because one of Socrates' disciples, hint, hint, Plato, <laughs> pick up the pen and start writing. Socrates said this, Socrates did this, Socrates wrote this, Socrates said this, said this. And over all those years, now we know about Socrates because we believe the writings of his disciple, Plato. And no one's debating that. You don't look on YouTube and see someone debating between whether Socrates existed or not. No, we're good with it. Why? Because the historians, those people smarter than us, like Einstein, who's smarter than me in science, uh, Schrodinger, who's smarter than me in quantum mechanics, that was the class, I hated that class. Uh, 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 all these people that are smarter than us, those people who have dedicated their lives to looking at historical documents and events to determine whether they are historically accurate or not, have said that, of course Socrates existed. Of course Socrates said that because Plato, his disciple, wrote, and we have historical accuracy that he did that. Jesus didn't write anything down. But guess what? His disciples did. Just like Plato to Socrates, the disciples had firsthand experience of what was happening. What is he? Is this guy really going to walk on that water? He's lost his mind. Wait a minute. Is he talking to a woman? Why is he asking this lady for water? What is, it, what is wrong with this dude? What, why, why is he telling a man to put water in those pots? <laughs> what is, <laughs> we want wine. What? Get your boy Jesus, man. Get your boy. He's, put, he's telling the dude to put water in pots. They saw these things. They experienced these things, and then they picked up their pen and said, oh, I got to let people know that. Acts chapter 1, Luke was my boy. I like Luke. Luke was smart. He was a doctor. Luke hooked up with Paul and Mark and saw all these things was happening. He was hearing these things was happening. He said, I got to tell my boys back home what's going on. So when we see the book of Luke, you see the book of Luke starts off with Luke saying, hey, Theophilus, <laughs> all that stuff you've been hearing, I'm about to give you a detail of what happened, okay? So you have the Gospel of Luke, which is a detailed account of what happened to Jesus that Luke heard from Paul, from Peter, wrote it down. Acts, verse 1, chapter 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. This is Luke who writing this, so he's talking to about his first Gospel. About all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taking up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke said, Theophilus, check this out. You know that guy wrote about Jesus? And I wrote about his dad and he rose again? <laughs> Not only did he rise again, he showed up. It's crazy. He presented himself to his disciples alive with, watch this, many convincing proofs. 
people used to ask me in, 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 in the studies that I have and the classes I've been in and the, and the labs that I've worked at, how can you know so much about science? How can you be a scientist and still believe the Bible, man? Obviously, Olu, we see your work in the science field. We know you're not an idiot. How can you believe the Bible? It's a bunch of myths, man. It's, it's, it's a bunch of faith. You've got science. <laughs> and I look at him like, you talking about the same science that we're using right now? The same thing that we're making some a lot of educated guesses and hope is work? This is the science you're talking about? Luke said, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote, said, we have convincing proofs. The whole theory, the whole blind faith thing, you know, that wasn't a, that's not a Christian term. You know, that's a term that secular folks came up with. You look at the Bible, you don't see anything about blind faith. You got to have blind faith. No, you don't. <laughs> God never required that of you. God said, not only am I going to tell you this, I'm going to give you convincing proofs what the word of God said to support the word of God. So the standard of evidence that they use for history is the best, uh, they look at a couple of things. One of the things they look at is the author who wrote it. After they look at the author, they say, okay, when was it written? Then, very important, when did they find the earliest manuscript? How long, what's the time that passed between when it was written and when we found it for the first, and how many? Textual criticism, historically accurate. And so we got our boy Plato, who wrote about Socrates. He wrote it somewhere around, let's say, 400 BC. The first time we see it, we find our first copy in 900 AD, 1,000 years later, between when he wrote it and when we found it. First copy, and at 10. People lost their mind. Oh my goodness. We've got something that's, we found it written 1,000 years. <laughs> and guess what? We got 10 copies. Oh man. Plato, this stuff is stuff you can bet your bottom dollar on this. This is facts. This guy named uh, Thucydides, he wrote about one of the wars between Greece and Sparta. That was him kicking him off the thing. This is Sparta. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, a lot higher. But the way my joints are working, I can't get my foot up that high. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> So the war, a lot of wars that went on. So Sparta fought Athens. It was this big war. We know about the war because this guy, uh, Thucydides, wrote it. He wrote it somewhere around 400. We're going, these are very loose numbers. 400 BC. We found it in 900 AD. Uh, it's about 1,200 years between when he wrote it and when we found it. And there's seven copies. So you know what? That is still factual. I can give you a list of, list of different things. Homer's Iliad. Y'all familiar with that? Some of y'all had to read that in school. Homer Iliad, he wrote it in 900 BC. We found the earliest copy in 400 BC. That's 500 years. And we have 643 copies. That's why they make you read it in school. <laughs> because according to the way they look at antiquity, old writings, and historical evidence, Homer's Iliad blows everything we know about Socrates out the water. Oh, we teach this in school. That was only 500 years after he wrote it that we found it? And we got that many copies? Mind-blowing. This is what the world doesn't either know or doesn't want you to know or don't teach. When we get down to the New Testament, 
That book that tells us about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was written between 40 and 100 AD. The earliest copy that we have is 125 AD. So we're talking 25 to 50 years. That means people are still alive <laughs> during the time when we found the copy who were there when things were going on. And I'm just going to put this number here, and we're going to move on. 24,000 copies. And we find uh, scientists say they are 99% accurate. That means that 99% of those 24,000 are exactly the same. People lost their mind over Plato. They said, we better teach every child this, because, oh, my goodness. And we get here, and they say, well, I believe science. But wait a minute. We're not talking about science. We're not talking about math. We're talking about law. We're talking about historical evidence. We're talking about how do you determine whether something is historically accurate or not. There are rules and stuff. Yeah, the rules don't apply to the Bible, though. Why? Well, because we don't like what the Bible says. Luke said, hey, <laughs> Theophilus, I'm writing this down for you so you can have certainty, convincing proof about what went down when it went down. Get your fingers ready. We got three minutes. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And there are about 12 appearances of him after he rose from the dead in the Bible. Are you ready? Luke chapter 24. The day. One, two, three, four. Four of them happened on the first day. Luke chapter 24. Mary Magdalene and the women went to the tomb. While they were there, the Bible says that Jesus showed up. And one of the most, one of the beautiful phrases in scripture. I'm going to read that one. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to read that one because it's dope. Uh, Luke 24, 4. While they were perplexed about this, verse 4, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? <laughs> what, what are you doing? What are you looking for the living among the dead? Same day. Jesus told them, Mark chapter 16, verse 6, and Matthew chapter 28. Jesus told Mary when he saw her, he was like, listen, go to tell the boys I'm coming. Tell them to meet me in Galilee. Jesus showed up in Galilee, Mark chapter 16, verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place uh, where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Same day. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 24. On that same day, there were two disciples on the road of Emmaus. They were walking. They were talking. They were fussing. This man showed them, like, what y'all fussing about? They're like, where you been, B? Jesus, they killed him. Now, Mary, this morning, came and told us that the grave is empty, and he's supposedly risen from the dead. And the Bible said that that person started telling them, went from Genesis to, to, to Malachi, telling them all the things the scripture said, the prophets you know, said about Jesus and what he was going to do, and that he was going to die, and that he was going to rise again. The Bible said he went to the house, they prayed, and he broke bread, and they looked at him and he saw that it was Jesus right there, same day. Same day, right after that, in John chapter 20, this is, he, he, he's working. He saw Mary. <laughs> he met him in Galilee. He kicked with these guys on the road to Emmaus. Then that same day, he went to saw the disciples in John chapter 20. This time, Thomas was not there. 
And so he went and he saw the disciples and he told them, he said, touch my hands. Look at the spirits on my side. Look at the hole on my side. Look at my feet. Anybody got some food? I'm hungry. John chapter 21. It was the eighth day after the resurrection. The Bible says a few of the disciples was out fishing. And Jesus showed up early in the morning and he said, hey, guys, you're not catching any fish. Why don't you throw your net on the other side? They did. They brought it in. Jesus had some fish cooking for breakfast. And they're sitting there talking to him. And they say, oh, snap. It's Jesus. John chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus showed up again. Remember Thomas was that over there? And the disciples like, Jesus was here. Like, whatever, man. Thomas was like, I didn't see him. Until I see the nails in his hand and the piercing his side, I won't believe it. And guess what happened? The Bible said the door was shut. Jesus walked through the walls. What's up, Thomas? And Thomas said, my Lord, my God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn there. We'll sit there for a few for, for the remainder of the time. 1 Corinthians 15. This was the verse we read. Paul said, we, I called it a creed last week, a creed or, or a testimony or, or, or a tradition. This is what the disciples were saying during that time. For I pass unto you, verse 3, importance of what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to the scripture, that he came and he appeared to Cephas. Wait a minute. Jesus appeared to Peter. That's appearance number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven that we have. Also in Luke chapter 24, you flip back to that, you'll see that they said, oh yeah, Jesus came and he talked to us. Oh, and he went and talked to Simon also. So Peter had his one-on-one. Paul then goes on to write, after he said, Peter, according to scripture, Cephas, and then the 12, we saw those, then appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. Now, why did he write that? (laughs) Go ask him. Most of the ones who saw the risen Lord 500, most of them got still alive. So you can go ask them. Now, if that wasn't true, what audacity do you have to write that and think you're going to start floating that with people still alive? And you put it there. Oh, and you can ask somebody. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. Pretty much what he wrote. Historical, reliable, textual criticism. Paul, said, uh, Paul goes on to say he talked to James. James song. All the apostles, Paul said, and then he's talked to me, least of all, Paul said, I saw the risen Lord. The word of God that we have is historically reliable and is full of convincing proofs that what we believe actually happened. And then the last one, the ascension. He came and he was talking to him and they asked him, okay, Jesus, since you're here, Acts chapter one. Okay, good. You died, we lost our mind, but you back. So obviously now you about to bring the kingdom and we're going to go against the Romans and we're going to blow them up. Everybody high five and you say, no, it ain't time yet. They're like, what? <laughs> but you're here again, why not? <laughs> and you say, it's not for you to know why. You just do what I told you to do. Go to all nations, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all authority and all power are given to me and I give that to you. The Bible said he went up. And while they were gazing, two angels came and said, why are y'all looking? Who y'all looking for? The same way he went up, he's coming back. That's what he said to them. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talked about the resurrection. And the reason of importance, he said, John said, 
I wrote these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Why is it important to understand that the resurrection is historically reliable? Why did it is written in the scripture? Because so we will know that Jesus Christ is God and that we may have eternal life. Luke said, I wrote this so that you would have certainty and convincing proofs, convincing proofs of what you have been taught. Don't go out here thinking that we believe something because somebody told us. Don't go out here believing that we have what we believe is some pie in the sky. Oh, we just blind or blind faith. No, man. We have convincing proof in the word of God of what the scripture says. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58, Paul said, therefore, my brothers, he had just finished talking about the resurrection. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the labor of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Based on this resurrection, based on the proofs that we have, Paul says, called us to a command for continual steadfastness. Be unmovable, be steadfast. As the winds and storms and bad things happen, be steadfast. As people disbelieve and the world changes, they have Satan's shoes and craziness and people who are Christians die and they fall away and this thing is exposed, we're gonna steadfast, why? Because of the resurrection, what Christ did for us. Be immovable and always excelling in the work. Our responsibility about Christ is to work, why? Because of the resurrection. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that we're not out here believing just stuff because my mama told me, my grandma told me, or because I've, I've just had a hard life and I want to escape from reality. And No, no, no. We thank you, God, that you've given us convincing and certainty of proof what your word says. And not only through that, but through other things, God, we know that your word is true. We thank you, God, for that you've given us. And we pray, God, that we as a body of Christ will be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in your work, God, and know that our labor is not in vain. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.